Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you for joining us here on the program. We come your way every week at newspress.com and richarddugan.com. We stream live as well as rebroadcast on a2zen.fm. You'll need to check their listings on their website, a2zen.fm, to find out when we're broadcast because they uh, put us on lots of different times. And then, of course, we archive this program at richarddugan.com, the radio shows page, and we have all of our guest interviews. We have links to their websites. We'll be giving you that website to today's guest as well. So lots of opportunities, as I've said many times before, for you to find out about what our guests and the work that they're doing uh, are all about. And um, I'll give you a very quick Angus update uh, for those of you who care and those don't, then you can just listen anyway. Uh, he's doing well, uh, healthy, and uh, had a, uh, a minor, minor injury uh, uh, some time ago where he was limping a little bit because he... Uh, Goes after that soccer ball he loved so much, so hard and fast that he ran his hind end into the fence and um, bruised his uh, bruised his muscle there. But he's doing great now. He's back at chasing it all over the place again. So um, he's he's just doing fabulous, and we are having great fun and lots of love in the house and and uh, a lot of excitement sometimes as well. You know, if you would like to help to support this program, we are certainly open to that. And anything and uh, that you can do, even energetically, would be uh, always helpful. You can go to the uh, richarddugan.com mission page, and you can read what we are all about. And then uh, if you'd like to support us, we have a PayPal as well as a GoFundMe uh, link, so that if you'd like to support us in that way, we would greatly appreciate that. Today, we're going into the kitchen. Well, sort of. Um, We're going to be talking about recipes for a sacred life. And this is about true stories and a few miracles. Uh, My guest uh, is who is joining us on the program today is the author. And her name is uh, Rivi Nishama. Rivi, I want to thank you so much for taking time to share with us your story. Oh, thank you, Richard. Thank you for inviting me. Now, I... I scoured this book, and I couldn't find any ingredients list anywhere (laughs) or temperatures to set the oven to. (laughs) Actually, (laughs) there is one recipe at the very beginning in the prologue. My mother gave me, um, for my first marriage, a handwritten recipe book, but she only had two recipes because, like me, she's not much of a cook. And it tells you how to make roast beef, what to set the temperature at, season it, <laughs> stick it in, take it out, and eat it. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to start off with this uh, as we're talking here because I like the concept, recipes for a sacred life. Um, it, it would behoove us maybe to uh, look at l- the literal things that we're ingesting through our mouths, but this goes far beyond that. Uh, but one of the things that strikes me when you say there is actually one recipe in there, it brings to mind the story, uh, and I call it the Hamshanks story. And you're probably very familiar with it. Uh, basically, the story goes that there there's a, a gathering, uh, so almost a family reunion of generations, and and uh, 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 mother is in the in the kitchen. She's cooking and she's. Uh, uh, doing her thing, and suddenly she comes to the point where she has to put the pot roast or the roast in the pan. And she takes the roast and she puts it out on the counter and she slices off both ends and she puts the remaining large roast that was between the ends into the roasting pan, puts it in the oven, sets it, away we go. And up comes one of the kids, says, Why do you cut off the ends of the roast uh, when you put it in the pan? I see every time you make it, you do that. And so they go to grandmother, her mother, yeah. and say, why, why, why do we do that? Well, believe it or not, great-grandma is still alive, and she's there. And they go to great-grandma, and great-grandma says, well, you know, it was the only way it would fit in the pan. <laughs> okay? Yeah. But when we're, talking about, <laughs> when we're talking about living a sacred life, um. That seems like uh, an easier task 
if we were to uh, give up all our worldly possessions, take a vow of poverty, uh, of celibacy, uh, of silence, go live in a monastery on a hillside or in the Himalayas or in Tibet somewhere, Nepal, and spin our prayer wheel, and that would be a sacred life. Mm-hmm. However, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Okay, I, I will proviso that. However, most of us don't have the opportunity to do that. We live in the workaday world, and it's very sometimes difficult to remember a lot of the things that we're told, especially, say, on this program with the number of guests we've had and many of the steps that they've shared with us. And after a while, it's like, oh, my my head hurts from the 469 steps that the 700 guests I've had on my program have, have given, and I can't remember a one of them. Uh, right. Where and of course I always do this. Where do we want to start so that we can, I say this euphemistically, finish and live that sacred life? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, um, my book is not a how-to or guidebook. Mm-hmm. Um, it does provide guidance, but it comes through the stories. I'm mm-hmm. a storyteller. And these are the most meaningful and inspiring stories from my life. And the nice thing about stories is you remember them. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, I know what you mean, like some mornings I wake up and I might be feeling down, and I'm yeah. trying to think that there's a hundred ways that I can make myself feel up. But I can't, they're, they're spinning. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I can't remember. But, but stories come back to you. Um, they're magic. They make teachings come alive. So, so that's one thing that I think makes my book... Um, easy to give guidance to. Uh, the simple, there's very simple truths. I'm not telling anyone anything they don't know, but I'm telling them through very personal human stories from my life. So they're inspirational and they're practical and they're uplifting. And, you know, there are those some things that are very easy that I remember, you know, just like, well, what are the basics? Like the basic ingredients. And I think the, the three for me have been gratitude, you know, just remember to be grateful. And gratitude, it could be all of a sudden realizing, wow, you know, I'm, I'm still alive, I'm still, my eyes are working, there's so many people, they're not. Um, just grateful for the sun is shining. And, you could, and also to say it out loud, to thank you, sun, thanks for this great sunshine, or, you know, thank you, divine source, you know, for making my mother get better, whatever it is, but to remember gratefulness. And the other two things, but I should say first, something I did, because I think it um, it is hard to remember. One of my stories is called This Too Shall Pass, and um, it talks, it was a King Solomon story, and how he had a ring that was inscribed with This Too Shall Pass. And that that would always help him when he's too joyful to remember, no, you know, this is going to go too. And when he's too down to remember, this will pass, nothing lasts forever. Mm-hmm. And so then he gets a sense of peace. So I bought myself a ring that had a stone, <laughs> you know, like King Solomon. And that's another thing, just to remember always, you know, this too shall pass. And sometimes the ring reminds me of the other things, you know, to be grateful and the other two for me main things are just to help others. It can be very simple, you know, thinking a friend who's sick and who would love a phone call to call them up. And you'll instantly feel not just better, and they'll feel better, but there's a, a connection. And to me, sacredness is all about connection. When you connect with another person, when you connect with nature, when you connect with the divine, that's when... Your life feels sacred, and you can do that every day in the simplest things. And the third one, which I've just alluded to, is nature. Just sitting outside for five minutes and looking at the birds, you know, watching the squirrel chase its tail. Any of those things will make you smile. And again, and a smile is another way towards sacredness, you know, smiling, especially when you smile at someone else. 
Well, it certainly can make a big difference. I, I remember hearing a story from one of my guests, uh, her husband, and this was down in Australia for, I guess it was an entire day. He walked around and he was he he had the childlike look in his eyes and in his face so that he didn't look like a, a creep coming at you when he said this. But he told everybody he came in contact with, stranger or friend alike, I love you. Every single person with a huge smile on his face and most and he could sense the energy changing. Now, most people, they responded in in a very positive way. I think there were very few instances where people were really creeped out. But again, it's because he had that childlike quality about him. He wasn't Mm -hmm. coming across like some lunatic. Um, And and so. uh, And I also remember hearing, um, and I don't remember the results of this, but somebody who would literally smile. You didn't say a word. You just smiled at them as you walked down the street. You kept that smile on your face. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that that uh, uh, that that is uh, infectious in the sense that whether it helps anybody else or not, it certainly does something for you, even if right. you just get one glance back with a grin. Right. You know, right. A, a knowing look saying, yeah, it's a good day. Thank you. You yeah. know, because it's like an acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we all need that acknowledgement, don't we? That's yeah. we need that. In and I'll put it this way: we need that for living a sacred life. I I really feel that. Yes, yes, yes. It it is. It's about paying attention, and and acknowledging, like you said. And one of my stories is called "On the A Train," which mm-hmm. is a subway in New York that goes straight to Harlem. And there's a, just one line is when it was a hot, humid day, and. Nobody even had the energy to nod, but this old man and I were staring at each other, and then we both started to smile. And I said, I got an instant shoulder of connection. And then he said to me, that's half the battle. It's half one when you get one person to smile at you during the day. Mm. It's extraordinary. Now, these stories, I mean, I, I could probably create a similar a compendium of stories in relation to what you have done from your life. Uh, matter of fact, I mean, my mind starts to spin a little bit in thinking about this in the context as you share this story and that story um, of of those experiences. And and they don't they're not they don't have to be really long, but mm-hmm. it's like when you start remembering the particular instances. And I can even go back to some in my childhood that right. I, that I recall some wonderful feelings of just completeness uh, at play uh, mm-hmm. or, or in different different situations. And those feelings come rushing back. Right. It's really, I have to say that that is probably one of the most amazing qualities about the human being is that, like what you were saying, you know, you get up in the morning and you, you want to feel good and, okay, how do I do that? And once you've latched onto that story or that step, whatever the case may be, it's mm-hmm. like, wow, they are, the feelings are as fresh as they right. were when you first felt them at the age of eight or 10 or 16 or whatever it was. Right, right. It's like, yeah. wow. Yeah. And these stories, um, my book has 75 short stories. Yeah. And they all came to me either through memory, like what you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, after this one dark winter night, um, I took a Find Your Purpose quiz. <laughs> and the funny thing was, I found it. It was to live a sacred life. And then I started to imagine what that would mean, what that would feel like. And I finally made an affirmation about it. You know, to my highest purpose is to live a sacred life connected to others, to nature, and the divine through love, gratitude, and acts of service. And it was soon after I did that that I began to remember and encounter all the people and experiences who had somehow given me a lesson or gave me a lesson about sacred living. They just started walking into my life and into my memory. So the stories just, they were gifts. They were just given for me to write down and pass on. How did you (laughs) make the decision? I mean, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I I have been uh, on this planet a scant 
brief little 53 years. Mm -hmm. But I could probably come up with hundreds of stories. How'd you call it down just to 75? (laughs) (laughs) When did you say, enough is enough? I'm done. Well, you know, I did have more, and then I cut out any that I didn't really love. That I, I felt maybe that one's just for me. These are also to pass on. Um, but no, I they they came when they came. It wasn't like I sat and wrote. Mm-hmm. It was like all of a sudden something happened, and I thought, wow. You know, like we were saying, attention, acknowledgement, looking for it, acknowledging the sacred. Once you start doing that, you see it more and more. Um, but when it, the story had to be just right, because, I, like I said, I'm a storyteller, I'm a writer, um, I'm not a guru, I'm, I'm not a workshop leader, <laughs> and I knew when I had a good story, you know, it had to have a good beginning, a good middle, a good end, mm. <laughs> you know, it was either funny or sad or moving, it, it wasn't, um, you know, it, it had to be a, a complete story, even though it was short, something that people would take them from here to there, and they'd feel different by the end. You know, uh, one of the elements that you mentioned, uh, you have your book divided up into sections in addition to then down into the various stories, and one that kind Uh of caught my eye was Animal Chats and Other Unions with Nature. And as I've shared on this program with our listeners, we live uh, uh, on the hillside above Santa Barbara uh, in a rural area where we have all kinds of critters that roam through the area. Uh, Could be a skunk, could be a squirrel. We have a resident owl who hoots uh, some nights. Mm. Uh, uh, We have our dogs who are very uh, uh, keenly aware that these critters are passing through and so they let us know when they're passing through. Right, right. Um, but we've even had experiences where we've seen certain animals. And and uh, I've even talked with uh, some of our guests in the past about um, uh, animals as omens or messengers, if you will. An animal has right. particular meaning, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. so I'm wondering from your perspective, when you start talking about this connection with nature and and reconnecting, if you will, in many cases, because uh, I grew up in the city. I, I was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, but it was still, I mean, we had pr- fairly large yards and, and property mm-hmm. spaces and we weren't all crammed together. Um, right. And uh, uh, so we still had birds and things of this nature that we were able to 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 interact with to to a degree. Uh-huh. Uh, but now when you're living in an area where they're all over the place, uh, some right. people, they're going to do anything and everything they can to maintain the population, to keep them away. Uh, and what I found is, and I'm, I always try to use as natural means as possible for that aspect, but at the same time, acknowledging I'm living in their area, I'm living in their space. Right, right. So they I don't, were there first. They were sure. there first, Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, what kinds, and, and you can certainly dive into some of your stories as well, but what kinds of messages have you received? Uh, maybe the most profound message or messages, uh, from nature, from animals. Hmm. Huh. Um, well, I, I could actually read you animal chats. If you'd like to hear one of the stories. Well, absolutely. We can do that. Let me let our listeners know while you get that ready that we're talking uh-huh. with uh, Revi Nishama. She has a book that we're talking about recipes for a sacred life, true stories, and a few miracles, which I, I, I really like that. That's uh, I think that when we do start, as you say, when we do start listening, we start paying attention. That's when those kinds of things start happening. So uh-huh. you're going to be sharing with us... Um, Animal Chats, uh, for those who, if you're following along in your hymnal, it's page 62. (laughs) Okay, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Richard. I was looking. Okay. (laughs) Now, this is one of my more uh, quirkier stories. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't usually do this one first, but since we're talking about Animal Chats, here we go. Go And one thing um, I would tell people ahead of time is my husband's name is John, so you'll know whom I'm talking about. Animal Chats. One reason I fell in love with John was he talked to animals. Nothing heavy, just, hello, Mr. Squirrel, how are you today? Or, 
Hi, Miss Robin. Welcome back. I found it endearing, and like him, very English, in a Peter Rabbit kind of way. In fact, when we visited the village where John was born, it was like stepping into a Beatrix Potter book. There were rabbits and ducks wherever I looked, and on the hillside nearby, I spotted some sheep. That was no big deal, since sheep are found all over England, where they're said to outnumber people. One autumn, while hiking in Shropshire, we wandered into a flock of them. They stared at us, and we stared back. Then I started to sing softly so they wouldn't be afraid. A few were still scared and walked off, one after the other, sheep-like. But they kept turning to look back, as curious as we were. Sheep aren't the only animals I've reached out to. After reading a book that said we can communicate with all species, I tried it first with bugs. I'd ask certain flies to alight on my hand and stand still, and they would. I could see their antennas going, boom, boom. And for the first time, I felt there was spirit in those flies. They were looking at me as surely as I was looking at them. I do believe it's possible to converse with all animals, perhaps more telepathically than verbally. The first time John and I went hiking in Hall Ranch in the mountains near Lyons, Colorado, we were expecting to see an abundance of wildlife since it offered new trails and had long been left wild. Yet in two hours of hiking, we saw nothing but trees, even when we stood still and were quiet. So I called out to the wild ones silently, asking them to join us. Within minutes, we spotted a lizard, a snake, a rabbit, and then a herd of deer ran leaping along the red cliffs above us. My heart leapt, too. I've also noticed that when John goes off traveling or I'm facing some crisis, the neighborhood deer come to sleep on our lawn. I'm not aware that I've called them, yet they come, like a faithful dog that knows when it's needed. There are some species, though, say earwigs, that I have little interest in talking to, especially when they enter our home. Still, I try to honor all living things, so instead of killing them, I ask them to leave. And if they don't, I carry them out. Well, I have John carry them out. If I do choose to kill, I offer an apology or prayer, the way the Indians did when they killed buffalo for meat. The native people honor the buffalo and call him their brother. They believe we're all related, four-footed as well as two-footed creatures, along with plants and trees, sky and earth, and even my mean third-grade teacher, Miss Brown, all of us linked together and an inextricable hoop of life. Nowadays, I speak to animals as much as John does. Hi, magpie, I say. Hello, bees. And when the deer come to graze on our lawn, I talk to them in a quiet tone as I've been taught you should. No worries, I assure them. Glad you're here. You can eat the grass, but stay out of the flowers. Their ears perk up attentively, and then they eat the flowers. <laughs> I think I say the same thing to the bees every time I have one. As a child, I was afraid of them because I didn't want to get stung. But now as an adult, when they start flying around my head, I'm just glad they're there. I yeah, really, yeah. yeah. This is uh, extraordinary. And what you were just listening to was Revi uh, Nishama and, uh, uh, from her book, Recipes for a Sacred Life, True Stories and a Few Miracles. And uh, that was uh, from that book and the area, the section on animals, animal chat and so forth. It is interesting how when we live in a particular area uh, that if we allow ourselves, uh, we can begin the process of um, uh, communicating. I even do that even with the the plants around, especially if I need to. I need to do something uh, near a tree or something. And I uh, I remember when we were putting in the chicken coop right near an oak tree, and I knew that I was going to be hitting the roots of mm. this oak tree. Uh, and, I'm, again, being as careful as I can as I'm digging down uh, and trying to go around them as much as possible for the, uh, for the fencing and the posts. Uh, but just, you know, saying that the chickens are going to bring you 
uh, much more than I may take away from you in this in this endeavor here, and my apologies uh, for that. And the tree seems to be doing just fine. Sadly, the chickens are gone. It's been uh, over a year since uh-huh. they have uh, gone. But nonetheless, um, I think that one of the things we're learning, and I want to touch upon this a little bit in terms of, of your education, whether it be formal or otherwise, uh-huh. one of the things that we're learning is how Literally, how interconnected we are. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I said my book is all about connection. Yeah. Because that, that is, and, and the more we connect, the, the bigger we feel, the, the more embracing we feel, the, yeah. the more everything is part of us and we're part of everything else. And it, it can start just with a friend, just with family, just with forgiveness. You know, and, and then... A friend of mine just wrote a book I like, Kissed by a Fox, where she talked about that trees are really reaching out to us. And when you, you think like, oh, look at that tree, that's a beautiful tree over there, and you think that you just noticed it, but actually it was calling you. It was asking for your attention. And I, I like that idea, and I like sometimes, um, like right now I'm in Sab- Psych Harbor, New York. We've been living here part-time. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a lot of friends here yet. My children are here, but it, we're still new. But when I read her book and then I walked out, I felt the trees were my friends. You know, I thought, well, there's a lot of trees here, and they're all reaching out, and I was reaching out to you know to them, mm-hmm. and I felt so much less lonely. It was you start to feel your place on Earth the more you connect to everything on Earth. Absolutely. When we come back, we're going to talk more about uh, this uh, wonderful uh, uh, compendium of, as you say, 75 stories, recipes for sacred life, true stories, and a few miracles, too, with Revin the Shama. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story. Please stay right where you are. Tell me your stories. I'll do my best to Welcome back to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. We're talking with Revi Nishama, and we're talking about her book, Recipes for a Sacred Life, True Stories, and a Few Miracles. I was asked by my mother some time ago if I'd ever had any, as she put them, supernatural experiences. And that was hard for me to answer because... Uh, and the best way I can explain it is <clears throat> my observations of, say, uh, Jesus of the Bible is that um, his life and the ex- things that he experienced, especially in the, the latter three years of his life, were normal. It's just what he did. It's what he knew how to do. Uh, we uh, viewed them as miracles. Astounding. Incredible. I mean, think about it. If we were to go back... 200 years, let alone 2,000, with an iPhone or an iPad, they would think we were, we were gods or what have you. But that would be normal for us. So when she asked me this question, it was hard for me to really answer that because I never really looked at a lot of what has happened in my life as supernatural. Um, I've always felt I've been in the right place at the right time in my life which, uh-huh. you know, very few people can say that. And I'm grateful that I can. But I'm wondering about you and when you began to reflect on these stories that were coming to you as you were preparing this work, were you able to pick up on some of these uh, miraculous happenings in your own life and say, wow, uh, I am an yeah. extraordinary human being? Yes, yes. And... um one of my stories is Miracles to Share, and it's a long story, so I didn't think you know, you'd want me to read it, but I'll just read the first two paragraphs. Oh, okay. Okay. Miracles to Share. I was reading a book with a great title, Stand Like Mountain, Flow Like Water, by Brian Luke Seward, and something he wrote struck me. After revealing that he'd had several mystical experiences in his life, but felt guarded about sharing them, since few people do. He said, I imagine that if, indeed, we did share these on a regular basis, we might be living in a much different world, perhaps a better world. Now, I believe, as Seward does, that many, if not all of us, 
have experienced the miraculous sometime in our lives. Not just the ever-present miracles of creation, but something specific to our own life story. We might not have called it a miracle. We might have said, what an amazing coincidence, or thank God that happened. But maybe, just maybe, it was a miracle. Seward said we should speak about our miracles, perhaps so others can be open to their miracles or feel hope when hope is what they need. Yet sometimes it feels strange to reveal them, not just because people may roll their eyes, but because they feel like special gifts, personal and sacred, not to be talked about lightly. Still, I have two miracles I feel ready to share, maybe because they're your basic down-to-earth miracles, Nothing surreal or otherworldly. They're curiously similar in the way they end. And they have a common beginning as well, for they both involve my daughter, Elise. And then I recount two rather miraculous stories, but very down-to-earth miraculous. Mm -hmm. You know, and some people would say, oh, that's just sort of amazing or synchronicity. But it was strange, especially that both of them happened and ended the same way. And I won't give away any more, but I think I kept, I keep a book now. I have a, a journal just of miracles so that I'll remember them because it's amazing. You know, I find I'll forget everything, even the miraculous, if I don't write it down. So, you know, I write down very special things that happen, things that were just so like a blessing, just when you needed it. And something special, something different, something outside of the realm of, you know, what can be expected. And something they brought grace you know, in some way. Mm. So, and, and I feel that, you know, when you talk to people, they're very shy about sharing these things. But once you start, everybody has at least one to share you know, something, they might not call it supernatural, but it's something miraculous that they can't understand how it happened, but it did. <laughs> and and it, it's sort of like, for a minute, you know, the, the normal fabric of life, it's like there's a little rip or tear and something comes in from somewhere else <laughs> and intervenes and blesses or gives you grace or gives you the gift you need at that moment. I I couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, and I, I, I think that these kinds of I think these kinds of stories are certainly going to help others to maybe ha have them come out they're, they're, They'll be able to express them more right. both to themselves, even if it is just in a journaling or even just in reminiscing in their minds and hearts or maybe to others in terms of sharing them as you have done here. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm curious, are there any stories in this work or were there stories you decided I'm not going to use these because they may be a little too too personal or maybe a, maybe a little embarrassing, that kind of thing? And I'm not asking mm -hmm. you to tell us th what those stories right. are. <laughs> Certainly, That's but funny that you asked that. I think actually, this yes, one story I do remember, I felt that the person I was writing about might not feel good. Ah, exactly. So That's took, what I was wondering. I took that out, yeah. Mm -hmm. But what's funny is my sister said to me the other day, Rivi, <laughs> I'm surprised how many of your flaws you chose to reveal. <laughs> I, I said, well, I'm surprised, too. I didn't realize I revealed that many. <laughs> you know, I mean, I wanted to be very honest and show people, you know, to live a sacred life, you can be very human, and that I have mm -hmm. a dark side, and I can have very depressed moments, and anxious, and angry, whatever, that, but that's human. And I, ha I even have a story where the Dalai Lama, in his interview, has asked, do you ever have negative feelings? And he says, yes, I get depressed, I get angry, I get jealous. I thought, great, <laughs> this is great, you know, <laughs> if even the Dalai, I don't have to feel bad. Yeah. And then, like the Dalai Lama, he went on in the interview and says, um, but you, there's no reason to feel hopeless. There, you'd be hopeless if anything were going to be static and just stay, but that's not the way of the world. Everything's always changing. Yeah. So. Well, one of the things I find very interesting, and, and we've, I think we've done some programs where we've touched upon this, and that has to do with, uh, you know, the, the eternal questions that come to mind. Uh, and it's, it's, it's one of those things where I might sit maybe even after a, an interview, I, I might sit after pondering some of the things that we've shared and, and 
for example, this past weekend spent spent uh, um, the better part of the morning stacking a half a quart of firewood for the winter. Mm-hmm. Not an easy chore, I want you to know. Uh, I'm grateful. <laughs> I'm sorry? Yeah. I, I believe you. That's yeah. not easy. Uh, I was very fortunate that my wife was there to assist and help in the process. Um, but nonetheless, uh, for the both of us, and... and so it's like you come in the next, uh, you come in on Monday and you go to work and it's like, oh, my body is just killing me. And I have these interviews I have to do and I have to go through this process and I've got to be focused and I've got to be attentive. And 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 usually things just click and it happens and it works and all of that is fine. But it's like um, sometimes the body just wants you to focus on it. And you can't focus on the higher things in spite of the fact that it's, I know my life's purpose is to focus on the higher things. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. when we talk about these questions, like what is my life's purpose and uh, what is my higher purpose and what is the meaning of life and and, and so forth. And you, you made reference to being grateful for uh-huh. just the simple things in life. I mean, even just a breath of air. And by the way, uh, just a side note on the breath of air, I, I was watching a a documentary and um, uh, they were talking about air and how it travels around and so forth. And we inhale and we exhale and so forth. And that the particles of air that are out there in the planet, in the atmosphere, are still there from generations long past. And that we are inhaling the particles of air and carbon dioxide and all those other elements from the greats and the not so great. And wow. it's, and, and when I, th- when they said that, I'm going, we're not, we're not just connected to one another. Right. You and I Rivi here in this timeline, right. we're literally, and I do mean this yeah. literally connected to the past through that. I, I mean, it blew my mind. It's yes. like, are you kidding me? Really? Yeah. yeah I didn't know that. that that's pretty powerful. <laughs> I mean, if you want, if you just want to focus on the, the avatars, the masters, the, the great prophets uh, of the ages, we're breathing the air that uh, Adam and Moses and Muhammad and Jesus and Zoroaster and, uh, uh, and, and um, uh, Babaji and the list goes on. And on, including all of those that we don't want to list, the bad guys, mm-hmm. all of that is out there. And it doesn't make any differentiation between these particles are good and these particles are bad because how are you just going to breathe the good ones and not the bad ones? Right. It, it just is. But there is. But again, I go back to the whole issue of the connection. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, wow. So, yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty connected. <laughs> oh my lord! I just was I was just blown away when you started sharing your your idea for this book, and I'm curious as to what the impetus was. Obviously, there were because you had made reference at the beginning of the interview to uh, this nudge or this calling or this right. this inspiration. I've, yeah. I've got a I've got this idea. I've got this book. This these stories yeah. are coming, and I've got to I start writing these down. Right, well, it was very mysterious because after I did that affirmation that my highest, you know, I did the quiz, what's your highest purpose? Mm-hmm. I found out to live a sacred life. Well, one week later, the editor of a magazine I sometimes wrote for called me up and said, Rizzi, how would you like to write an article on how to create a sacred space in your home? And I went, well, sure. <laughs> Synchronicity. And I started doing all the research, and I ended up at a Native American feng shui master's home where she said she wanted her whole house to feel sacred. Mm. And it did. It was full of light and magic. And I was walking home, and I started to write the article in my mind, How to Create a Sacred Space, when suddenly I felt a voice inside me. I felt it. And the voice said, Rivi, write a book, How to Create a Sacred Life. And that's when I said, yeah, we'll do. And that's when the magic really started happening, that the stories came to me and the people came into my life. And it was, um, it was just like a gift. So it was, it was a great joy to write the book. 
um, that was the easy part. <laughs> okay. Because it sounds an awful lot like, as you've just described it, you really, initially, you had no real resistance to it. I mean, it was like it just felt right for you. That's true. And I had stopped writing. Um, I used to be a writer. I, I wrote, um, I was a journalist in New York many, many years ago. But then I started feeling, all oh, writing is kind of self-centered. For me, it, you know, for me, it was too much about mm-hmm. me. And so I went back to school and, and social work, and I became a community organizer. And I spent most of my life as a community organizer, um, you know, helping the poor and children, disadvantaged children and immigrants and the environment. Um, so, And I didn't write that much, but then I, I also was an editor, so I would I was doing editing, and then someone asked me to write something, and now and then I would do these articles, but I had no intention anymore of writing another book. And this this was really a surprise, but it was a, a beautiful surprise. Mm. And, you know, I never, it's, I'm not one, when people talk about channeling, that was something I always thought, oh, it's just them, why do, why do they have to call it channeling, you know? But in a way, I understand now, because I felt I sort of became a channel for these stories. I mean, they're my stories. They happened to me. Mm-hmm. But they but they felt like they were given and that I was asked to write them down. Well, and I think that from in that context, they were these were specific stories. As again, like I said, you probably have hundreds of stories right. like these. But right. these were the ones that you were given, say, by the universe saying, these are the ones that we know are going to touch people as they read this book. Uh, right. And, and also, I, like, I'm an editor. Right. Oh, <laughs> so certainly. I, so I knew, you know, I, when I edited, I looked and thought, well, you know, would this mean something to someone else? Yeah. Will, yeah. You know, will this uplift people? And it's been great. The, the feedback I've been getting is, you know, people laugh, they cry, they relate. And... Most of all, which is great, they said it reminds them of the sacredness of their own lives. Mm. And a, a lot of people, they said, I never thought of myself as spiritual, but now I'm reading your book. And I see that I am, and I'm really grateful that you woke me up to seeing that I do live a, you know, a sacred life, a spiritual life, and I mm. always will. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, the author James Redfield and his uh, great work back in the 90s of yes. uh, the Celestine Prophecies. Right, right. And I what, that. what comes yeah. to mind is the message within the, the pages about how we each have a message for each other. And what I see here is that you have uh, that message. You don't know who it's for specifically, but you know that anytime anyone picks up this book and just flips to any one of these. Some of these stories are long. Some of them are even a half a page. Right. They're short stories. It's going to touch them in some way. Mm-hmm. And everyone has a different reaction. It's, it's like a Rorschach test. <laughs> oh, I love that. that that's, it's amazing. Some people just say, oh, they, they're just delightful, playful. And then other one review said, she shows us how to come out of the dark and the fear. You know, that's that's oh, what they wow. got. Wow. So it was like, wow, yeah. I, I have to say that that's an interesting uh, observation, whereas, um, and I'm not going to necessarily refer to the book or the author, but there was an author back in the 50s who wrote a, a philosophical treatise, if you will, and and uh, she was born in Russia, and she escaped the uh, uh, the, the um, I want to say the um, the revolution of the teens, nineteens, and mm-hmm. with her family uh, and so forth, and then wrote these these uh, different works in the thirties, forties, and fifties that were were virtually I think the word is panned. I mean, there wasn't anybody who mm. reviewed it who liked it. Not mm-hmm. one. And yet, to this day, it is now selling more copies than any other book ever, with the exception of the Bible. Wow. And people are, people are uh, beginning to read it, young people in particular. Now, yeah. I've, I've not read the book, but it's been made into a couple of movies, and I guess there's a third part that's coming out. And so I've seen portions of the second movie. We're going to watch it from book uh, part one to part two here shortly. And we watched a documentary about this woman, 
And I thought, you know, she's got some good ideas, but they're still part of the old paradigm. They're still part of the old way of thinking uh, that that I can appreciate where she's coming from. I'm certainly not going to pan it if I was to review it, read it and review it, because she has a right to her perspective, even if it some even said it was the book is angry, you know, that kind of thing. Well, but she has a right to that. Mm-hmm. You know, because she's trying to say something and people weren't getting it. There was this one guy, um, a real professor, um, and I, I don't remember his name, but I remember a satirist by the name of Stan Freeberg who uh, did a bit about him. And his character was named Marshall McMedium. And he talked about how, you know, uh, he was in the studio in an interview and I am the studio and the studio is me. And he wrote this particular book and the interviewer was asking him about the book. And he says, yes, and I'll be coming out. Uh, I, my next book is an explanation of the last book and, <laughs> and so forth. And I wish people would get it. And, and it's like um, sometimes you just have to write what's on your heart, yeah. whether people get it or not. Now, you, what you've created, there's no, <laughs> there's no controversy over uh, it touches people. It it, and I think that in our day and age here in, interestingly enough, the twenty first century, which I dreamed yeah. about as a child, yeah. this is not even close to the dreams I had. Nonetheless, here we are, and I think these are the kinds of works that we need today. Is that yeah. your feeling as you were inspired to begin it, or as you were putting it together, or especially as it was finally completed? Well, I think. As it was being completed, um, I realized we need very real-life experiences related about sacred. No more, you know, there's a lot of lofty books out there and a lot of theoretical and a lot of religious. But this is these are just very human, real life that anyone will relate to. And also that there's a lot of humor in them. That there's, you know, a lot of them really make you laugh. And I felt that humor's a big part of spirituality and not many spiritual books were including it. <laughs> it was like so so that was important to me too. And then I once said, you know, as the book was being finished and I was going to have to look for an agent and do a proposal, I said to someone, you know, this is a spiritual book for people who don't read spiritual books. And I thought that was great until my friend said, well, great, Rivy, and that means no one's going to read your book. He <laughs> 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 said, you could do a whole series of animal books for people who don't like animals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but in a, he was right, but in a way I was right, too, that yeah. it's a spiritual book for anyone on any path at any place. Yeah. And who doesn't see themselves on a path, too. You know, that it's, it's a very um, welcoming Come on in. We're all in this together. What was your, uh, I'll put it this way, your life's philosophy before you began to dive in yourself, this was even before the book, into mm-hmm. this whole aspect of living a sacred life? My philosophy before. I Well, I think, you know, I realized when just the other day, you know, I told you before that I spent a lot of my life being a community organizer. Mm-hmm. And I realize now that that was already the beginning or a deep part of my sacred life, that helping others, helping the world, you know, helping make clean air, helping save endangered species, stopping the nuclear bomb, um, helping immigrants learn English and, you know, Show mutual respect in a community. Have you know? I, I helped start an organization called Intercambio, uniting communities. So my spiritual path was was about, and it still is a large part about that. We're here to help each other. We're here to help the planet. You know that we're here not to close our eyes to um, climate change. And but to do something that we're so that's that's been a part of my life since I was a little kid that I that I wanted to help people. Now, you know, I'm not 
always that great at it, especially helping people who are close to me, right? right. <laughs> it's right. easier sometimes to help strangers. <laughs> but but I think that and, and nature, I was always, nature was always a big part of my sacred life. Well, Revy and uh, Nisham, I want to thank you again so much for joining us and sharing recipes for sacred life, true stories, and a few miracles. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. It was wonderful to be with you. And I just say, if people want to go to my website, it's rivinashama.com. I'm going to spell that out for you folks. It's R-I-V-V-Y-N-E-S-H-A-M-A.com. We will also be linked to her website, so you will be able to find out more about her, the book, the work, the events. I mean, the list goes on, and uh, and even get in contact with her as well. And again, thank you so much. Uh, thank for... you. I love talking with you. It was a delight. Well, thank, thank you. you. I'm Richard Dugan. This has been Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until next time, love to love. When I was a kid and I read Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, mm. that inspired me. And I'm just, I, I love to... I lived in Philadelphia. It wasn't like the wilds, but there were still places where there were just meadows and undeveloped land, and I'd like to wander there and go into the woods. And and that's when that's how I felt what people might call God. I felt it in the woods. What was your uh, religious or spiritual upbringing? Jewish, and a lot of the book has um, some of the things I most love about Judaism that I feel... I want to, you know, let them be more known, be more widespread, because they help they help everybody, you know, to integrate them into your life, certain aspects of Judaism. I have to say that some of my favorite conversations in the last uh, six, seven years that I've been doing this program, and even before then, have been with rabbis, mm-hmm. because the level of education that they had to go through, the knowledge base that they have to draw from, uh, from history, is mm-hmm. just extraordinary. And the fact that they remember all of this stuff, too, it's like, okay, <laughs> what, what file cabinet are you getting into in the back of your head? You're remembering these things. But it's it's like I have never, uh, in, in regardless of, uh, regardless of the contra- conversation we're having or even the controversial topic we might be talking about, they always lay out the information in such a, a loving and, and uh, I th- from my perspective, any warm and compassionate manner, mm. saying, look, this is just the information, okay? Yeah. I- I'm not putting any judgment on it. This is just the information I'm putting out there. That's, that has been my observation, and it's just been extraordinary. Plus the fact that, obviously, uh, I mean, this is just my own personal observation— that if I was really, really going to, uh, let's say, uh, because I was born and raised as a Catholic, and and certainly uh, Jesus was the the focal point of of my life as a kid growing up, I, I I look at it from a logical standpoint, which is how the rabbis have assisted me in doing so. I would have been a I would have converted to Judaism because Jesus was a Jew, not a Christian. <laughs> he was a rabbi. He was a rabbi. Yeah, and I'm thinking, yeah. I don't understand. There's a there's a there's a there's a disconnect for me in that regard because it's like, yeah. well, wait a minute. Uh, but he was a Jew. I, I realized that he did this and he did that. But he didn't call anybody Christian. He didn't refer to himself as a Christian. Uh, you know, and on and on and on. So I should have been a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you are. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And, and like you said before about we're all breathing in yes, the air that everybody exactly. breathes. All, all the religions are connected, and, and, the, and the Arabs and Jews are cousins. And I mean, it's so it's such a shame that we have all these oh, false yeah. divisions, yeah. because it's all one. Mm-hmm. And the more you look at it from a historical or a philosophical or biological perspective, you see, oh, yeah, it's all connected. And... Yeah, and and we're all African American. That that's where life began. That's, yes, that's where they're showing now. So it's not like you know, <laughs> there's. It's just that these distinctions have come up, and we don't see through them anymore. Well, I think we're we're made. Some of us. Well, right, some yeah. of us, yeah. but we're made to be distracted by the differences. I came up, and this is 
I'm trying to remember how long ago it was that I thought about this, thought about this, and thought about this, and finally came up with a phrase that best describes even what you're talking about. And I'm I'm now I'm going back possibly 20, 30 years or more. If there is a difference that makes a difference, then there is a difference. However, if there is a difference that makes no difference, there is no difference. Mm. Now, some would say, well, that's awfully redundant and convoluted. Yeah, well, think about it. If you see someone on the street, regardless of what they're wearing, their skin color, or even if you converse with them, things that they say, and you still love them as a brother or sister in the human race, then doesn't matter what the color of their skin is or what they're wearing or what they say. Right. And you're connected to them. Right. But the moment that we start to see those differences as differences, it's him or me or Mm -hmm. me and them, us and them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's when we have the problems. Right. That's when we have the problems. If you were to, um, say, put together a new a new work, would it be a continuation of these stories, or is there something else that that you want to say uh, between the covers of a book, be it electronic or otherwise, um, uh, in terms of where you have where you are today as far as how far you have come and what, what it is that you want to share with the world. Yeah, if, if I do another book, and I'm not sure I, I will. I think it's going to take a long time now, you know, promoting this mm-hmm. one. Sure. And I want it to live long. Um, but I, I have thought of writing a book for children. Um, I, I'm a grandmother, and there's things I want to tell them that are just simple life lessons and I realize people don't give children simple life lessons and explain it to them in a way that they'd understand that could help them be happier and kinder, you know, and just, well, when you're kinder, then you are happier. But, but there's, that, that would probably be it, something that, you know, that we can tell the children in, in a way that they would love and understand and and they go, oh yeah, that that's one of the the secrets. Now I don't have to wait till I, I grow up to learn the the secrets of how this life works. Yeah, if I do that, that's going to happen. <laughs> if I don't do that, that might happen. You know, th- things like that. Hmm. I, I've I myself have been working on a book for. <laughs> I even hate yeah. to say 12 years. Um, and it's a small little book, but I just yeah. haven't brought myself to finish it, to bring it to completion yet. And maybe it's not time. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I struggle even when I talk with guests such as yourself and they start ref- making references to some of the concepts in what I'm working on and going, well, they're already saying that. So why why would I need to put that down in print and make it available to people? Because, well, Refi's already doing that or whoever, whoever the author is. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And obviously I know I know better than that, that I'm going to say the things that I'm going to say in a different way than you right. will or anybody else that's right. going to hit a different group of people right. uh, in, in so forth and so on. So I think that that's also a lesson for folks, and that is that, you know, just – if you're led to do it, do it. Put it out there. Right. It, it, that's, that's so true. And, of course, I realized when I was writing the proposal, I said, there's nothing new here. I'm not going to give people new truths. They've all been said. But people need to hear it a different way and in a new voice. Yeah. And they're always looking. That's why people are always buying a new spiritual book just the way they buy a new mystery book. That there's one. This is what will ring true with them. And this one will hit them more. And I just read a quote. The other day I liked it. We tell our stories because it's part of the ongoing revelation of what it means to be human. And so each of Mm. us telling our stories is adding to that understanding and that revelation. Uh, All right. I'm going to put that question to you. What is it that you think? uh, What is it that uh, makes us? What is it to be human in your perspective? 
Well, the first honest thing that came to mind was to have so many emotions, so many, such a variety mm. of emotional experiences. And in the middle of all that, looking for ways to find the calmness, you know, <laughs> the calm at the center of the storm. Sometimes easier so, said than done. And I guess to love, I think, love that we love. But I've seen animals... Um, it looks to me like they're loving more and more when I see them up close. So animals love too. I think that that comes only from stopping and watching and listening. Most people, well, my wife could conceivably get into arguments with people who say that animals don't have souls. They don't have emotions because she, mm. her, lo the love of her life is animals and our yeah. dogs and our cats and the chickens that we had or animals that pass through our lives on the, on the land that we live on. Um, because they who are criticizing and saying that animals don't have souls and they don't have emotions, uh, haven't taken the time to stop and listen yeah. and look. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's hard. A lot of people live in cities now. Yeah, where it's, there's fewer and fewer, and and even in the country, and we live pretty rural in Colorado, but there's fewer animals now than there were ten years ago, and, and this upsets me. And something I want to work on. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, because animals. <laughs> They, they, when they, they touch you in a different way. When you see the wild and you see wild animals, a part of your soul is awakened that isn't awakened any other way. Mm. I want to thank you so much for taking time and sharing your story with us. And before I let you go, who is Rivi Nishama? Who is Rivi Nishama? That's <laughs> this is a trick question. <laughs> No. <laughs> However you choose to answer it is your answer. Okay. Rivi Nishama is someone um, who's lived a lot of different lives in her one lifetime. And she's been integrating them and learning from them and passing on what she's learned and tries to keep her sense of humor. <laughs> um, and the name Nashama means soul in Hebrew. And Rivi is from Rivka, Rebecca in the Bible, bound mm -hmm. to. So I'm bound to my soul. And that's how I want to live. And that's my guiding light. And meanwhile, I'm very human. <laughs> and as my sister said, I reveal a lot of flaws. <laughs> I always will. But I'm walking along the path with everyone else. I've often yeah. thought about the revealing of one's flaws. Uh, years ago, I uh, was sort of, sort of taken to task privately about all of the stuff that I reveal about myself in my interviews. And I said, well, what difference does it make? God already knows. So what if 7 billion other people know? Most of those people don't care anyway. So so what? Yeah. <laughs> what, is, what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Oh, uplift people. Um, uplift them and, you know, add to the joy in their life and the purpose. And that they will be inspired to help others more, to help others, and to help the planet. Mm. And, and, and those are big things to say out of, you know, a bunch of little stories and stories that make you laugh and make you cry. But I think, you know, once the connection comes, that it will follow from the connection that we'll all start helping each other more and we'll all start thinking, okay, we want this planet to be in good shape in 50 years, you know, and there's trouble happening. And what can I do? Hmm. Uh, I have a, um, uh, two more questions for you. Uh, one of them has to do with your husband, John. What role does he play in the work that you do? Oh, he's a, a very integral part. 
um, well, we're, we're both writers, and we're both editors. <laughs> so, mm. so on a very mechanical level, um, we're always talking and editing each other, and you know, nice uh, match. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a helpful match. Um, but also, he came from a little village in England, and and you know, surrounded by sheep <laughs> and all these animals. And I think he brought me more. Um, I lived in Manhattan for twenty five years, and then I met John, and we fell in love, and. He took me out to Boulder, Colorado, and really took me on hikes and walks and brought me much closer to my spirit than I'd ever been before, you know, through the nature and just being quiet, just watching, just listening, just right. looking. So uh, he's, he's played a very... He, and also, John, um, he gives me unconditional love, and so I'm learning that. That's not one of my fortes, giving unconditional love, mm. but I learn it <laughs> from him. You know, and and that's a, that doesn't mean he's perfect or better. You know, we we each teach each other different things, but that that's a beautiful quality he has mm. that 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 I learn from. And how powerful are we as human beings? How powerful are we as human beings? Well, when we connect with our inner spirit, with with the divine inside us, all around us, we're incredibly powerful. I don't know if there's... I wouldn't say it's limitless. I still believe that there's something outside of us, and that's my belief, that is the true source of power, but that we can tap into that power and connect with it. Hmm. Well, Revi uh, and Nisham, I want to thank you again so much for joining us and sharing recipes for sacred life, true stories, and a few miracles. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Richard. It was wonderful to be with you. And I just say, if people want to go to my website, it's rivinashama.com. I'm going to spell that out for you, folks. It's R-I-V-V-Y. N-E-S-H-A-M-A dot com. We will also be linked to her website, so you will be able to find out more about her, the book, the work, the events. I mean, the list goes on, and uh, and even get in contact with her as well. And again, thank you so much. Uh, thank for... you. I love talking with you. It was a delight. Well, thank, thank you. you. I'm Richard Dugan. This has been Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until next time, Love to Lal.